I believe this is now our fourth study um, on the subject of baptism. And if we could do a, a brief uh, review of what we've covered so far, well, we first uh, we began with that introductory chapter in chapter 27 and really dealt with what, what the sacraments were. They are holy ordinances that have been instituted by Christ himself whereby sensible signs Christ seals the benefits of the new covenant to us. They are aids to help us believe the gospel. They are seals of his promises to us. And then we went on to uh, answer the question, who is the church? And I, I brought up last week the problem of dispensational thinking and how it has tended to affect all of us. And we established last time that the church began in the garden in Eden when the first two sinners were redeemed and brought back into fellowship with God. In his defense, in Acts 7.38, Stephen referred to the church in the days of Moses, calling them the church in the wilderness. We looked at many other scripture passages that clearly demonstrated that there is one church, there is one covenant of grace. And though it was administered differently, our Old Testament brothers and sisters were saved by faith in the Christ who was to come. And we ended our study last time by looking at the scriptures that showed to us that the children of believers were always included in the covenant promises of God. We look at the, looked at those contexts of the assembled church and the Lord reiterating, renewing his covenant with his people, and it always included their children or their offspring or their little ones. Both in the Old Testament and in the New, the children of believers were included in the covenant promises and therefore they were part of the church. And we know from the passages that we read uh, today that believers as well as their eight-day-old eight children were given the sign of circumcision. And that's the old covenant connection to baptism that I want us to think about today. And I think I've pointed this out before. It's, it's always a, a faulty practice to begin our study of some subject by ignoring the Old Testament. If we do that, we're ignoring two-thirds of the Bible. Um, I think when we look at the, the New Testament, one of the things that we might find striking is how, how little teaching there is about the sacraments. We find teaching here and there, but there is not extensive teaching in the New Testament. And that is because the New Testament sacraments are built on the foundation of the Old Testament sacraments of circumcision and the Lord's Supper. And my support for that argument is how the, the apostles in the New Testament regularly preach Christ instruct the church by preaching from Old Testament passages. This is a mode of interpretation that the Bible itself sets down. And so we want to begin 
to think about the sacraments by looking at the Old Testament. And I submit to you that for us to understand the new covenant sacrament of baptism, we have to first understand the predecessor of that, the old covenant sacrament of circumcision. And as we was affirmed both in the Westminster Confession and in the Heidelberg Catechism, that connection is drawn. There is a connection between circumcision and baptism. And so let's, let's begin by thinking about what circumcision was. And by extension, how is it relevant to baptism? Now, I think when we look at the scriptures, we see that, that baptism was not merely an ethnic or national marking. I think the Old Testament teaches that and the New Testament confirms it. Some people believe that, that, sac- that circumcision was, uh, was simply some kind of tribal marking, national marking, that it was just like what, what every other nation did. And you know, this still exists today. Like we, there are certain tribes that are recognized maybe by the kind of earrings they wear or how they lengthen their necks. And, and some people want to point... Uh, put circumcision in that same category, that it was just an ethnic marking. But I think it's clear when we read the Old Testament and the New that circumcision was a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, that it had spiritual significance, that it was special, it was connected with the covenant of grace. We go to the New Testament, Romans 4.11 gives us a sense of the meaning of circumcision. Uh, He received, referring to Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. There is the, the spiritual significance of baptism underlined. Genesis 17.10, and we often hear this. Circumcision, God calls circumcision, my covenant. He says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And again, the, the same language appears in the New Testament, Acts 7, 8. And again, referring to Abraham, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision had spiritual significance. It was not like the mere ethnic markings and the practices that occurred in the unbelieving world at this time. And there was one writer that I I read that argues that this view in the Christian church that circumcision does not have a connection to baptism, that was just merely a tribal or ethnic marking, Uh, He chalks that up to the influence of liberalism in the church. It was a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. And because it was a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, circumcision symbolized four related gospel truths. I think I put those in your outline. Um, it's It's a sign of the covenant. And and what is a covenant? A covenant is primarily 
a relationship. And so it first symbolized union with Christ. It symbolized that covenant relationship with God. God's covenant with Abraham that included the sign of circumcision. And that that sign was meant to accompany the promise, I will be your God. If you, I I still remember this (laughs) from my college Bible course. Uh, It was driven home to us again and again. We had to know it for exams. What was the central covenant promise in the Old Testament that God laid out for his people? I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will walk among you. It's an image of union and communion with God himself. And in Colossians chapter 2, where circumcision is linked with baptism, we hear the repeated phrases that point to union with Jesus. We hear phrases like, in him, with him. In Romans 6, Paul talks about baptism. And again, the dominant idea is union with Christ. Romans uh, 6, 3 and 4, do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there is that connection, just as circumcision pointed to union and communion with God. Union and communion on the basis of shed blood. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the New Testament, that baptism symbolizes the same thing. But along with that, it also symbolized cleansing from sin. Uh, The cutting away of flesh symbolized the cleansing of God. Cutting away that which was dirty to cleanse his people and we read these phrases like this that that always remind us that circumcision wasn't the end and of itself but it pointed to something greater and that's why the lord could say in leviticus 26 41 he calls for the people to humble their uncircumcised hearts In other words, turn to God for cleansing and forgiveness. Jeremiah 10, uh, the Lord says, their ear is uncircumcised. Deuteronomy 10.16, circumcised your hearts and be sniff-necked no longer. Again, this is confirmed in the New Testament. Romans 2.29, circumcision is a matter of the heart cutting away of that flesh was a symbol of the sinner's need for cleansing and of the cleansing that the Lord could bring. It wasn't just an external mark, but it was a sign of the cleansing and forgiveness that comes through faith in the Lord. And again, when we come to the New Testament, we see that the same thing is symbolized in baptism, no longer with cutting away of flesh, but rather with 
water and the image of washing or cleansing from sin and guilt. And again, let me read from Colossians 2 to, to underline this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling of the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. Cleansing from sin, the removal of sin is the image, the symbol of both circumcision and baptism. But also, it's a symbol of the righteousness that we receive by faith. The righteousness that we receive by faith. Uh, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, we thought last week about how the Abrahamic covenant gets underlined in the New Testament. It's a significant revelation of the covenant of grace. And that's illustrated by the fact that this is underlined in the book of Romans. Again, Romans 4.11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So we could say if we combine of how it's a symbol from, of cleansing from sin and also a, a symbol of a righteousness received by faith, and we could put those together and say that both circumcision and baptism are a sign to us of what theologians call double imputation. What has to happen for us to be cleansed from our sin, where our sin has to be imputed to Jesus. And he dies and he pays for our sin, but we also need to receive something from Jesus because even if, if Jesus just died for our sins, we still lack a righteousness of our own. And so we need a righteousness then imputed to us by faith. And both circumcision and baptism proclaim that great gospel truth. But then lastly, it was a mark of membership in the covenant community. Uh, there's various passages we can look at where, uh, where we find provisions for outsiders to come in. And I, I would remind you of, or, or caution you against having this uh, too narrow of a view that, to say that in the Old Testament, well, God, there were no Gentiles that ever were able to come to God. That's simply not the case, because we read of various provisions for Gentiles, for outsiders, to come and be part of the covenant community. What are the instructions? Well, you and your household, all your males, be circumcised, and then you may come and take part of the Passover. And so baptism, again, we shouldn't be surprised, symbolizes the same thing. It's a mark of membership in the covenant community. It symbolizes union with Christ, union with the church, union with other believers. Baptism symbolizes these very same things. Now, I was concerned this morning when I 
when I reviewed, I didn't have the normal time I had yesterday, and I usually, um, I, I never want to put you through a longer sermon than I have to. Um, I didn't have the time to really review and pare things down. Um, so let me just introduce our, our, our second point here. But I, I hope what you got from the first point there is that, that uh, circumcision was filled with all of the significance that baptism was wasn't just an ethnic marking, but it, it was filled with this gospel symbolism. And it's also clear, just as we, we articulate, that baptism doesn't save. Baptism is not the ultimate thing. I think it's wrong for us to assume that our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament thought by circumcising their male children that they were automatically saved. It was a symbol of the need for cleansing, the need to Trust in the Messiah who was to come. Well, let's secondly and, and briefly think about to whom that sacrament of circumcision was given. And the simple answer is adult and adults and children. And again, something else I would caution you with is getting too caught up in man-made theological terminology. We want to say, are you a pedo-baptist or a credo-baptist? And we, we make these divisions. And I think that could, that could lead us to too narrow of a view of this subject. Uh, the question is, are, are you a, a pedo-baptist? Uh, you believe children should be baptized? Or are you a credo-baptist? You believe someone should profess their faith and then be baptized? We would say, well, we're both. Because that's what the Bible teaches. And we see the same pattern when we look at circumcision. Because when we look at circumcision, in that passage we read from Genesis 17, we see it was first given only to adults. We were given the ages. Abraham was 99 and Ishmael was 13. And what's interesting about that is we know that Abraham had a profession of faith, but we are not told if Ishmael did. And if someone was looking at that first occasion, that first institution of uh, the sacrament of cir circumcision, they might have said, well, this is just for adults. But as we read on, we find that that's not the case because God commanded it to be given to covenant children as well. And so we see that, that circumcision was given to the children of professing believers. Being heirs of the promise, they were to receive the sign of circumcision. And we read in Genesis 21 how Isaac was circumcised at eight days old. And I think that, I didn't include it in my notes today, but um, I pointed out to you on multiple occasions how John Calvin and his institutes, he draws from Augustine, but what, what he's cautioning is against these two extremes when it comes to the sacraments. And, and the first is attributing to the sacraments uh, the power that only should be attributed to Christ and his spirit. In, in, in other words, we, we uh, put faith in the sign. It would be, it would be like uh, being injured and uh, expecting to stop under a sign for the hospital and, and actually be, uh, be ministered to. Um, but the other end of that is, is to react against the Roman Catholic view and place too little importance on the sacraments. 
And I fear too often this is the case when it comes to baptism. Because there's been so much confusion, because there's been so much debate, people just maybe want to shy away from the whole issue. And yet I want to read from Exodus uh, chapter 4. How important is it to God that, that we observe these sacraments, that we heed his commands? This is, Moses is called from Midian to go to Egypt, and here's what we read, Exodus 4, verses 24 and 26. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. That is why she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. That's, we read that and think, that's kind of wild, but how important was it to the Lord? He sought to put his servant Moses to death until he applied that sacrament to his son. And so it was... First, given only to adults, then to the children of professing believers. But we also see this combination where it it is given to adult converts and their children. We often hear in the New Testament, we hear the argument of household baptisms. Well, that was nothing new. In the Old Testament, there were household circumcisions. Exodus 12, 48, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised so that he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Now that's another example of how there was provision for a Gentile and his family to become part of the church, part of the covenant community, but there is that idea of household circumcision. And we should note, as we think about this, and I think this is something we tend to struggle with, God commanded this sign to be given to children who would later believe and children that the Lord knew later would not believe. I think Ishmael and Esau are the two most prominent examples. He knew. He knew they would not believe. Believe He knew they would reject their covenant heritage, and yet he still commanded that the sign be given to them. And I think sometimes we, we need to recognize that there are things that are hidden in the counsel of the Lord. We don't know if our children are going to believe, but in faith we need to obey the Lord and apply that sacrament to our children and pray that that thing which is symbolized would become a reality in their life. It is clear both with circumcision and baptism that they don't confer salvation. That they needed to believe in and trust in the Messiah who was to come and thus all of those calls to circumcise your hearts. And they needed to be united to Christ by faith. They needed that righteousness of Jesus credited to them. 
So therein lies the link. And let me leave you with this thought. You know, in the, in the gospel, we need to proclaim uh, with joy that our great God has done it all. And we haven't contributed anything to our salvation. The sacraments are to reflect that same truth. And that means the sacraments are not signs of our commitment to God, but they are signs of God's commitment to us. They're, they're not about our work, they're about His work. And, and I would submit to you that our, our understanding of the sacraments gets derailed at this point. What, what do we do when we, we are saying the Lord's Supper is only a memorial and it's only going to be powerful to me based upon how well I remember Jesus? That means the sacraments are dependent on my work. But when we say the Lord's Supper is a means of grace, we believe that Christ, by His Spirit, is present with us, ministering to us, renewing His covenant with us. He is reminding us that He has done it all. When we simply obey as a response and in the power of His Spirit, then the same is true of circumcision and baptism. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. A key phrase when the Lord renews His covenant with His people, a key phrase you should always look for, listen for, is when God says, I will. I will. He says it over and over again. And in Deuteronomy 36, we read, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. The gospel is not primarily about our commitment to God, but about God's commitment to us. It's about the sovereign, saving work of the triune God. And both baptism and the Lord's Supper reflect that glorious gospel truth that He has done it all. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you might bless us and enrich our understanding of baptism. Lord, may we remember our baptism. May we live in light of it. And may we be daily going to our Savior for cleansing. May we be resting in His righteousness and, and not our own. Lord, may our baptism remind us of not only our union with our Savior, but our union with one another in the body of Christ. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we might come to a greater understanding, that we might look beyond the signs that you give to us and see the glorious gospel of your Son and live in light of it. We pray in the good name of Jesus.